Welcome to Prayer in Private Parts, a podcast about sex and Jesus. I'm one of your hosts, Jill Thompson. I'm a registered psychologist and sexual health educator from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And my name is Nick Coates. I'm a minister here in Calgary. This podcast is open, honest, raw conversations, most likely conversations you have not heard in church. But we think you probably should. Each episode, we tackle a topic about spirituality and sexuality, and we see where it goes. So let's get started. Please note that while these conversations are just conversations between us, they do not replace any serious psychological or even theological advice. And that if you find yourself triggered in one of our episodes, please know that you can find help in your area. If you don't know of any of those places that are safe for you to access in terms of a distress center or a church that's safe and affirming, we can try and help you find that and you can email us. Welcome back. So we wanted to start this podcast by being super transparent that it's been a while. There's it's a been few, a hot minute. Yeah, a hot minute. I like that. I get um, that saying from you. What, really? Yeah. I like that I say things I don't even know I say them. That's great. So we wanted to say that we did record the D word originally about a month or about a month or so ago. Oh, easily. Yeah. Went by so quick, but then kind of listened to it and realized maybe that wasn't the best. Maybe we didn't quite honor this conversation the way that we wanted to. Would that be accurate? Yeah. And just if you haven't picked up on it yet, the D word is divorce, (laughs) uh, which is this episode. And it's a redo. Yeah. I think because we, I'll speak for myself. Um, I didn't feel like I honored it in the way that it needed to be done because this is a heavy topic and all throughout recording it we both felt this heaviness mm-hmm. kind of sinking upon us that, that like oh this is this is serious stuff yeah um one of the more serious ones that we've probably done yeah and we really wanted to take some time to feel it out and at the end of the day we felt we needed to kind of readdress it um, and bring some other voices into the conversation mm-hmm. and so here we are like two months later yeah I like this being, it was a month, six weeks. Okay, it's been two months. It's been two months. So if you hear that little giggle in the background, that is our friend Ashley, who's joining us today. And Ashley is going to be sharing some of her personal stories um, related to divorce. Because I was going to say, if you listened, which you wouldn't have, because nobody's going to hear the one that we aren't going to let you hear. Anyway. Maybe if we get like amazingly famous and we can have like... From the, the archives. Like from the B, archives. B-side. B-side. B-side is the... Which has like a whole other meaning for like Sex and Jesus podcast, right? Like A-side, B-side, gayness? No? No. Oh, we have to come back to that. I went somewhere oh, completely different. Oh. I, I went into like anal like bum side or like, oh. what was that? <laughs> no, I just went into this like, do tell. Oh, it's, I yeah. Oh my goodness. Sorry. I love the places. Oh, the places you'll go with sex and Jesus. <laughs> anal. It's great. Anyway, I, we're not going to talk about anal today. We're not going to talk about, well, maybe we will. <laughs> Never mind. I don't know what's going to come up. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure we introduced Ashley. Um, so Ashley will be joining us in the conversation and sharing some of those stories. And I think Nick and I really wanted to say that this is... So maybe you don't have experience with divorce. Maybe it's not on your radar, but this is a topic that impacts everybody in the church. And so that's something that we wanted to say. So have a listen. Um, Yeah. And hear some of our stories, hear Ashley's story, and we'll just move into that space knowing that hopefully this can help you be open to have conversations with people Mm -hmm. that you love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really what we're 
all about here at Prayer and Private Parts is giving us the the tools we need to have conversations that matter. And yeah. so we're never trying to give you answers, even though I may talk like that sometimes. Um, it's all about helping to create some awareness and expand the conversation uh, to show what kinds of things we need to talk about and think about when talking about these really huge issues like mm-hmm. divorce. Yeah. Because um, like you said, it's something that we all have probably experienced either directly or indirectly. Yeah. I mean, with 50% of couples being, is that still a stat now? Yeah. Like 50% of relationships ending in divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, This isn't just a church issue. This is a societal issue. Mm -hmm. And so we've all kind of felt around it and know that there is a a weight to this kind of conversation, Mm -hmm. which goes back to why we felt it was so kind of heavy and important when we recorded the the version one. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe let's, let's start there. Like what is our, before we get to Ashley's story, what is our, our experience with divorce? Because there are all kinds of ways that we can kind of come at this conversation. Yeah. I think when we talked about this earlier, I think I talked a little bit about, because I'd been in some long-term relationships and living with people and, you know, we weren't technically on paper married, but there, you know, that was a huge piece for me, like living with someone common law and then breaking up and, you know, splitting apart stuff and families and Mm -hmm. that. So it's a little bit, but it's still not quite the same, I would say for me. Like, I think that would feel very much the same for some folks, but for me, it still didn't feel the same. But I, my parents are divorced. Um, They divorced when I was really young, so I don't even remember it. So that's part of it. Like, it's so culturally, like, normal in so many words that it's just, yeah, it just was part of my life in that way. And then, yeah, in my practice, I talk to lots of folks that are considering it, that move into spaces of separation, then get back together. And then some folks that are, you know, in the midst of a divorce and then yeah, friends and family too. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my personal experience. What about for you, Nick? Uh, for me, it's all for the most part, indirect. My parents are still together. Um, my brothers and I argue about how long they've been married. Cause we, we don't really know <laughs> we're terrible children. <laughs> Uh, but it was, for me, it was always something that operated in the background, especially growing up. I had a few friends whose parents were separated or divorced. And so I knew what it was. And I knew that it wasn't, quote unquote, good. Mm. But growing up in the church, no, no meaning was attached to that until I got to um, the Baptist church I attended for 12 years or so. And then it became that's when the sin word got attached to it. Hmm. And so some, some spiritual baggage got attached to it. Yeah. Um, and now in my ministry, uh, it's mainly talking to people who have gone through it and are wrestling with what does God think is people who are seeking permission to get divorced um, or couples rumbling through a possible separation. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for them? What does it mean for their kids? What does it mean for the community? Yeah. Who gets the church? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, and all right. those kinds of huge questions that <clears throat> that I've never had to experience or think through. And so for me, it's always been kind of observing and trying to understand what what the feelings and emotions and experiences are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've I, I I need to practice a lot of active listening here because I don't it's I have something that I, it's not something that I can speak to or experience directly or, or know much about. It's really interesting as I saw Ashley and I both resonate with that, like who gets the church conversation. I know that means something very different for you, Mm -hmm. Ashley, than 
me, but it, it brought up when I, I lived with a partner for a few years. We were together probably about five years in total. And I remember grieving the relationship after, and then f- probably a year later connecting that I was actually grieving the home. Cause I, I left, mm. I moved out and that partner stayed in the house that we had had. And I, <laughs> I almost grieved that home more than I did the relationship. So I can't even, I'm just thinking how hard that would have been for a church. Why don't we bring in Ashley and Ashley, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and your experience with divorce? Oh, so well, I guess maybe that all starts with getting married. Right. Um, I met my former husband when I was 18, 17. He was 18 at youth group. We walked in. I walked into Bible study and there he was in his beautiful blue eyes. (laughs) He was so handsome. Um, Still is handsome, I should preface. Um, And then we started dating a couple of months, I think a couple of months after that, and then got married three years later. So we were, I was 21, he was 22. And that's just what you did. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you weren't married by 24, things like it's going to get bumpy for you. You're going to die alone. Like you got to figure it out here. The Lord has someone for you and you need to find mm-hmm. that person. But I, mean, I just want to say that was the message. That, go, yeah, that was the message. Right. Go to, uh, feels like the first time if you want to hear some more stories on that. But yeah, go keep going. So um, yeah, got married. And then we, yeah, like it was, I mean, a bumpy first year, I guess just like living with a new human. And I had never lived with anyone outside of my parents. And he had never lived with anyone outside of his parents. And then 26, have a couple babies, 26 and 28. And then I um, decided to end my marriage when I was 31. And I'm 33 now. Um, And so like circling back to your point about the church, that's how our relationship started. Right. Right. In a church setting with all of our friends and all of our friends, as we grew into our late Mm -hmm. 20s, got married in that context. Mm -hmm. And we all reiterated the same things. But I remember looking at all of our friends that are newly married, sitting in a group thinking, half of us aren't going to make it. Mm. And that makes me really sad. And never in my wildest dreams did I imagine I would be one of those that didn't make it all the way, whatever making it means, I right. guess. Like I'm stay sure. married for 40, 50 years, which was my total goal. Yeah. I wanted to get married young, have babies, be at home, do all of those normal things. Mm. Yeah. Like and normal and church context yeah yeah normal in church context normal what I was told here's the rules and if you follow these Mm -hmm. rules you will be extremely successful in your life Mm -hmm. so you double down into that so hard especially when it's not going well like for my experience was there is something wrong with me there is something sinful about me. Right. And that was reinforced in the culture that I was immersing myself in. Right. So then you look inward and you do a lot of digging and a lot of crying. And when the, you know, you come to the part of the cycle where, oh my goodness, this thing didn't work, this sermon, this book, this prayer study. Okay, I gotta go back in. 
and for me, part of why I ended my marriage was I woke up and realized, oh, this isn't my problem. Right. <laughs> this isn't a fixing me thing. Mm-hmm. This is just how I am. So how can I move forward in who I am rather than killing parts of myself off? Yeah. Yeah. I talk so often about like <clears throat> feeling like I've had to hide parts of myself to belong in church. Mm-hmm. And that's a different way of putting that, like killing parts of yourself, which sounds so mm-hmm. violent. Yeah. We talk so often about fitting in and just how Bernie Brown talks a lot about how the culture of just fitting in ruins oh, senses absolutely. of true belonging. Of mm-hmm. yeah. If yeah. The moment we use a phrase fitting in, it necessitates having to kill off so well put I love that mm-hmm. parts of ourselves that we're trying to hide because we're ashamed or whatever emotion we're feeling around them because they don't fit within that that place we're trying to belong to mm-hmm. well and it I say use that kind of violent imagery because that's what you do like you die to yourself you sacrifice that you know mm-hmm. you um, you have to those are the unhealthy parts of mm-hmm. yourself that Satan put there or that, mm-hmm. you know, the world has put there. So you have flesh. to, the mm-hmm. flesh, you have to kill the flesh. And like, it's just stuff and nonsense, really, when you come out the other end of it. Richard Rohr talks about, talks about original righteousness instead of original sin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just that shift where you start from a place of wholeness rather than brokenness and yeah, how the that radically changes. shifts, even how you read the Bible, yeah. how you move through your interactions with everyday people, assuming good intent to mm. anyway, rabbit trail. No, these, I, I am I a like rabbit trails. terrible rabbit trailer. Well, you're in the <laughs> right place. Let's, let's, come, <laughs> let's go back there later on though. Cause it's part of, part of what I'd be curious about is um, how did, and there are a lot of assumptions baked into this question, too, so maybe we won't go down the road. Um, but when you come out the other side of it, how does the whole narrative and whole church thing shift? Because mm-hmm. um, often mm-hmm. we've talked about this a lot on this podcast about how in a lot of the kind of church that we grew up with, everything is just kind of hooked to one thing. Yeah. And once you, once that one hook falls, everything collapses. Oh, that's beautiful. And so you can't take pieces off. You can't because everything is just one. Is like once you question the Bible, oh, the yeah. whole thing yeah. falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the process of reconstruction is just so much more difficult mm-hmm. because you have nothing left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so part part of what I think a lot of us might be curious about is is how do we begin to put things back together or what even what remain and what remain precious and sacred mm-hmm. and what else could be like, you know what? No, I don't need that anymore. Yeah. I've gone go. through this and that was just letting go of what doesn't yeah. serve you. Yeah. It doesn't serve me anymore. That's not mm-hmm. of God. That was mm-hmm. good for a season, but not anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be curious about that yeah. later on if, if that applies, but keep going. Um, if, so you asked for a divorce and then can you share a bit about your relationship with the church and how that? Yeah. So basically the, my relationship with the church started when I was 18. I had just broken up with who I felt at the time was the love of my life. I was never going to be in another relationship again. I'm also incredibly dramatic by nature. Um, and 
Hang on. Do you want me to just move it a little bit closer? Yeah, just, just get right up. Out. <laughs> get up in there. Get it in, yeah. <laughs> I wish we were talking about YouTubing this, and we're, <clears throat> if you could actually see some of the things that we do while we're talking into this space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so um, I grew up in like a very atheist environment where religion wasn't really encouraged or discouraged. Um, My mom took us to church occasionally. I went to church with my Nana and it always felt good. I had always felt like, oh, this is my jam. And Catholicism especially, which is maybe not a surprising swing to go from nothingness to Catholicism because it's so rigid and there's the liturgy and you follow the same steps and you say the same things every week. Um. But I think that, yeah, just joining that Bible study kicked everything off. And I literally walked in and met my husband and all my friends. So the Bible study was kind of your introduction to the church in some respects was the same Bible study in which you met your husband. And community. And 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 all of my friends. And then so like your world really kind of. My world. And the, the, the beautiful thing about that space is that it gave me somewhere to go. Mm. It gave me somewhere to belong and it gave me something to do because three days a week, like youth church culture is at least two days a week because you've got Sunday and you've got youth group. And then third and fourth day might be Bible study. If you're participating in one or you're leading in one. And then I, I was praying, help me defy this mediocrity. I was just 18 working at home Depot felt like I was going nowhere and on the cover of the Rocky brochure was Defy Mediocrity. <laughs> Sorry. It was, I don't know why that made me giggle. <clears throat> what, it, I looked at this brochure and I thought, this is where I'm supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you go head on into Bible college and you sign a contract saying no premarital sex, no drinking. What, what else did it say? I like, no, didn't sign it. I told oh, them I was you're brave about it. No, <laughs> no, I lied. I said, I'm going to pray about it. And then I never signed it because I was living with that partner <laughs> at the time. And they told me the way to solve that was for us to sleep in separate rooms, which was a weird thing to suggest to, to early 20s anyway, right? Like the whole thing. if you live together, just don't have sex together. Don't sleep together. Right? Yeah. We could go we all know how that works out. We could go acres into how dysfunctional, like you set up all of these boundaries. Yeah. And how dysfunctional your emotional connection becomes. And then you get married and all of a sudden you're expected to drop all these boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. At all. The switch never, in my experience, it never flipped. Yeah. I'm thinking about our, just thinking back to those times, because Ashley and I met in Bible college. And just thinking about the, we connected on a, in in an environmental club, (laughs) which is the whole story, (laughs) which is like how different we were then. Mm -hmm. Right. But we connected on this thing and had this friendship, but just these conversations, right. And about. I just, I'm thinking back to conversations about sex and marriage with you, whatever, 12, 15 years ago. I hope I I was not kind to you then. And I have apologized for that. (laughs) You were fine. No, I was not. I was not fine. It's just so, but in this church culture, 
I, I read all of the instructions. Yes. I myself as a person follow the rules. Yes. And so I was handed this rule book. Yeah. Giddy up. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, things started happening in my life. Mm-hmm. I was moving in the right direction. This is exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like the narrative carries itself forward. If yeah. you participate killing parts of yourself off. Yeah. Right. It's this great and holy act to deny your flesh. And it just, in speaking directly to my experience, did not work. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I was thinking about this rule book and how many people I see in, you know, in very vulnerable spaces that say, not just in church context, but so many ways that we like follow this to-do list what we think we're supposed to do, act like, sound like all the things, and then they do them and still feel really a sense of emptiness. And rather than saying, okay, that formula didn't work for me, it, mm-hmm. it gets internalized to like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we elevate all of the, um, my acupuncturist calls them the ascended masters, right? So Jesus, the Buddhas, mm-hmm. um, Hindu gods and goddesses like we elevate instead of learning from um our missteps we internalize them and go there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. i messed this up somehow and i need to live exactly as this person did yeah and like but even like we're i'm thinking about celebrity culture too right it's completely mind-blowing to me when i'm scrolling through instagram and i see a hairstylist who i venerate Venerate, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay, I was, for a second, I was like, I'm on a podcast using words incorrectly. <laughs> when gets, I guess just edit that part out. But um, <laughs> we, I venerate these hairstylists and they talk about their mistakes and they show me their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what, you made a mistake? Like you were ever imperfect? Yeah. It's okay for me to fuck this up. Yes. Oh, and he, like hearing my boss, she was telling a story last night and about how she completely went sideways on this thing. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, mm-hmm. you're just a human and you push send on an email ranting about somebody yes. to that somebody. <laughs> oh my God. That's <laughs> or sending it like angry. my worst nightmare. But oh, yes. absolutely. And that's not what she did, but I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Like everyone. Oh, yeah messes up but how it completely shifts you to hear Mm -hmm. and like I guess my hope in this is that someone hears these podcasts so the one that you guys did about um the youth culture and uh sex yes like youth group and youth group and sex yeah oh yeah purity culture Mm, was it that's what it was called got me right in the feels and I ugly cried the whole way yeah but then but then it gives you space. I'm not alone in this. Yeah. Like if you yeah. are miserable in your marriage, mm-hmm. there are resources and ways that you cannot be miserable. Yes. And was that, I, I don't want to, don't go down this road if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that brings up so many memories of friends who got married young in the church, who four, three, six years later kind of discovered this, this despair because they just figured out, oh, this is who I am. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what I want to do with my life. And that means I need to go to this place and do this thing. But I had this relationship that I'm in and mm-hmm. the rule book says that we're supposed to stay in the same place. We're supposed to grow together, believe the same things, do the mm-hmm. same things, practice the same things. Yeah. But now I've grown to be this person. Yeah. And this is who I am. Yeah. Like legitimately to live my life, to live my truth. Like I'm over here now. Yeah. And I still have great feelings for this person, but this whole marriage thing isn't working out the way I was told it would work out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the rules aren't leading to a healthy, vibrant, full of sex marriage. And so yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so would that, would that be kind of a fair, like you were kind of in that zone of this isn't, this is not working out the way I was promised it would work out and the rules aren't working and so do I stay and live in this world and get the acknowledgement from everyone else of like good for you you're married or do I break away from all that yeah and it's this dark shadowy road that I'm about to go down so for the when I told my former husband I don't want to be married anymore I'm done I knew as soon as those words left my mouth I As soon as I said them, I had to be 100% certain of those words. There's no clawing that back. You can't, that marriage was done. And Esther Perel talks about, um, in her book, talks about um, an affair ending a marriage. And then couples will come to her and she says, yeah, this marriage is done. Would you like to rebuild another? Mm -hmm. And I knew that I didn't want to enter into rebuilding another marriage with my former husband. I didn't have that language at the time, but um, I knew I was, I was done, done. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't see the road ahead of me. Because when I was 18, I got this very, very clear vision for my life. I will get married young. I will have babies young. I will be a homemaker. I will throw myself headfirst into volunteering at my children's school. I will do all of the things I could see from start to finish, God willing, you know, obstacles happen in the way, but I could see the whole thing playing out. When I stepped off of that well-lit path, I had no idea. How was I going to make money? How was I going to support myself in this mortgage? How was I going to support my kids? How was I going to buy groceries? I had absolutely, like those fundamental basic needs, I suddenly had zero idea how I was going to fill them. I talk to women all the time or people leaving marriages all the time. You just, you put your head down and you figure it out. Yeah. And so many people also putting their head down and staying because they don't know what they would do for those things or that they can do it. Right. I've even seen people stay in relationships for houses, for pets, for kids, even though it, was killing them, killing parts of themselves, not showing up fully to Mm -hmm. any of those things. Yeah. And it's such a sad, hard place to be because on the outside, we, I didn't talk about ending my marriage with anybody. Um, On the outside, it all looked perfect Mm -hmm. because like, I really have a lot of love and respect for my former husband. Yeah. He is a fantastic dad. Far and away is the fun parent. (laughs) kids like our kids love spending time with him kids in general love spending time with him because he's so fun and 
he, you know, we were really good partners. Mm-hmm. Like when his dad passed away, we were unstoppable. I mean, there was nothing we couldn't do together. There was no funeral arrangement that we could not plan. There was no meeting we could not have. It was unreal. And he's, I mean, he's an incredibly organized person. Um, so that helps a lot in relationships, but yeah, great, great friendship. And that's what, that's what you see when you go out in public. Like you're holding hands and no one's seeing like what's really, you know, the troubles that are happening underneath. Are you open to sharing how your church community responded to, because you've talked a little bit about how you've said it to, to him and then yeah. a little bit of that internal process. How did your, your church community respond? Um, well, fully knowing the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to try to speak without censoring myself because I, I think that there's probably some people in that community who will listen to this. Um, I feel the reaction was terrible. Mm. Um, We were, I think the first or second couple to get divorced or to go through separation, but in our immediate small group, where all of our babies were born around the same time. We all went to mom's group together. We all had potlucks together once a month. Um, I was the first. And so I had told two of the women who I was close to. And I came to a lady's house. It was the summertime. And walked in the door and I said, I'm not going to stay. I just wanted to let everyone know that I have decided to end my marriage. And um, I just want to make this very clear that this is not a pray for us. We're going to do a trial separation thing. This is done. Mm -hmm. People are moving out. Papers are being filed. This is done. And one of the women looked at me with such anger. And I mean, looking back now, It has nothing to do with me and my Mm -hmm. decision. This was obviously really triggering something for her. But in that moment, I knew I am never coming back to this space ever again. Mm. I'm walking away from all of this. Okay, I get it now. Right. And that was incredibly devastating because, again, every Thursday morning, we got our kids together and played in the church basement. And we hung out and drank coffee. And because a a lot of us were home or a lot of us had flexible jobs, we hung out whenever we could. Yeah. You know, play dates, backyards, summertime, organizing things. So that whole life, I knew I could never comfortably go back into. And I just didn't have the bandwidth to support Mm. um, a relationship, supporting a relationship with, the church community and pursuing that while ending my marriage. And I speaking quite frankly, the ball was, I feel was dropped hard by the pastors in that space. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they did not, um, they maybe cared for my former husband really well, (coughs) but I do not feel like I was cared for well in that situation. And I mean, that was, it is what it is. And we're three years out from that. 
incident and I like don't hold a grudge against anybody anymore. I did Mm -hmm. for a long time and I held a lot of anger about that, but I just realized like how I would react when couples would talk about getting separated and divorced was triggering all of the emotions in me. And Mm -hmm. I was reacting out of a really unhealthy place. Right. And a, not a place of support. It was a place of judgment. You can't, it's a sin. Yeah. You have to put your head down and you made your choices. Marriage is not meant to make you happy. It's meant to make you holy. Oh, was well, one I of the heard that in a really deeply, long time. <coughs> deeply unfortunate things that I said. Can we, can we just rehash yeah. some of those things? Cause yeah. I think this is, this is the kind of stuff that we, if we don't hear it, we feel it. Yes. This is the, the tone that kind of comes from, if not directly from the pulpit, this is the the kind of shit that we absorb mm-hmm. in the world of church. Yeah. And so um, marriage is supposed to make you happy. Happy. Or sorry, holy. Holy. Not happy. That's a Mark Driscoll thing. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't going to bring up Mark Driscoll, but you did it. Sorry, I'm laughing because <laughs> Ashley used to, this is... Think about this friendship. No, no. Right? Like how this different is, we are sometimes. But Ashley this is would ex- send me Mark Driscoll videos. Just. And this, <laughs> y'all do not understand. This is an expression of what Christ love looks like. Like, I'm not kidding. Jill, Gio, and Nick. Were the, because you, but you were. Mm-hmm. You guys were. Now we're both crying. <laughs> God. We're a mess. <laughs> But you guys were the expression of Christ's love in a time in my life where it was it. Like I, I came over for brunch and did the Ashley show for fucking a year. It's funny because oh. you're talking about this time and I was reflecting. Um, so your when you were going through the divorce was my first year of marriage. And you would call and talk about things. And then I'd hang up and I'd be like, oh, I'm so fucking triggered. Like, do you still love me? Are we going to be okay? Should we like annul? What are we doing? But I would never say that to you. And like thinking about how people respond in your situations, right? Whatever it is coming out, divorce, grief and loss. People, obviously it's going to trigger your own stuff. But I remember watching community around you and being like, oh, of course it's triggering their fear. It's the first couple in this group of like really close knit friends and family that, yeah, of course it's going to trigger this response of like, no, you need to hold it together so that I know I'm going to be okay. And, and like, I feel like that is where leadership has an incredible learning opportunity in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Cause circling the wagons and saying, what is this triggering in you so that you don't transfer it to them? Yeah. Okay, you said that you love and support her and that you're here. Was that complete bullshit? Because you should probably tell her that was complete bullshit, that you have zero intention of inviting her to that party. Yeah. Because what happens, what happened for me, people, we love and support you both. We're so sorry that you're going through this. He would get the invitation to the party. Mm -hmm. He would get the invitation to set up the Christmas tree. Yeah. He would be invited to things and I was not. Yep. And that was an incredibly painful experience. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, I don't know. 
I didn't, when our friends were, two of our friends were um, going through a separation, thankfully, and to the best of my knowledge, they're still together and they're wildly happy. Um, I did not handle that well. Right. Like, I can't imagine all of the things that I said in that, mm. in that time that were super unhelpful and triggered things in me mm-hmm. that I didn't, excuse me, <laughs> I didn't check myself about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of like the humanity. I'm watching Nick. Do you want to add something? No. Okay. <laughs> that's part of the, the humanity of like growing and being in community with people. And I think about, we've, we've said this, like even thinking about the things that we've said to our youth group, whatever, 10, 15 years ago when we were leaders yeah. and yeah, like, and still like even, you know, I do like contract faculty work and I think about things I said and I'm like, Oh, was that harmful? Was that helpful? Right. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, we do the best that we can with what we mm-hmm. have in the moment. Yeah. But I like that what you said of this, like, did you say you were going to love them through this? But like, actually we're, are we only loving people in that check? box that checklist oh, right oh yeah like I'll love you if you keep doing these things and if you're in this box but as soon as you step outside of that like ooh, my but love doesn't go there all of Christian theology is based on mm-hmm. playing by the rules or you go to hell right a, a, God. A, a, a version of Christian theology <laughs> excuse me excuse me that version of Christian theology right my, and, which is why I think it's such an important thing to talk about why your story is so important because even if we're not people who have gone through divorce and had to rumble with the internal stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Chances are, if you've been to church, especially a certain brand of church, you're, you've had a friend who's gone through divorce and you've had to make the decision of, am I going to love you through this or am I not going to love you through this? And this uh, brings up so many questions and situations we need to be aware of, of mm-hmm. how do we treat people who are going through the ending of relationships, whether it's divorce or just separations or something else altogether. Mm-hmm. This brings up so many important things for church leaders and church goers to wrestle with mm-hmm. of how do we actually as Christians, as fans and followers of Jesus, treat those people who have chosen to end the relationships. Mm-hmm. Cause I think you get the people that you're describing that you're describing of well, you know, I'm not going to invite you to the party. Mm-hmm. You know, you you sinned, or I can I color yeah. you this way. Um, or are there other ways to go about it? Well, I think for a lot of people, it's just too awkward. Yeah. Right? I mean, my parents echoed, oh, it's just, it would be too awkward. Mm-hmm. But what they missed out on by not stepping into the awkward was an incredible time, specifically an incredible time in Disneyland with their grandkids. Oh, it would just be too awkward. Okay, that moment is gone. My babies will never be two and four experiencing the magic of Disneyland again. Mm-hmm. That's what you missed. And I think for me, when my former husband's friends were going through this awful separation, I missed the opportunity to have hard conversations with myself and just learn how to sit with somebody who's deeply grieving. Yeah. Like, wow. And it like something that I've been thinking of lately a lot, especially in parenting, I know better. I will do better and not carrying the weight of, wow, I should not have raised my voice there. Mm. 
okay, so if we know how to deal with divorcing couples better, let's do it. Yeah. Like if there's enough people saying that was a wildly unhelpful sentence. What are, can we go? I know my, my partner is divorced. Yeah. And one thing that she, very similar, similar story to yours, um, especially with relationship to the church. But the thing that, one of the things that fires her up the most is the, the, the shit that people would say, mm. thinking they were helpful. Yeah. And so could each of you maybe comment a bit about that? Because I think the awkwardness is something that we all kind of feel. We're like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Yeah. Oh, you should be strong. You're like, nope, don't need to be told that. <laughs> um, so what are some of the things that <laughs> Sorry, maybe... I giggled about that because I... <laughs> Oh, my brave, amazing students are showing videotapes of them practicing counseling skills, you know, and, and that you talk about what an empathetic statement is. It's so vulnerable to do that. Right. Yeah. So what are some of the things that that maybe because I'm going to assume the best in people that they really want to be there and support and love others and try their best to be present and offer some empathetic statement. Yes. But often especially if you haven't been through it, we don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, other than just shutting up and listening and being present, are there other things that would be helpful for us to hear as oh, Lord. best advice or don't say this? <clears throat> I would say even if you have been through it, your experience will never be the same. No, no. Right. And so yeah. that's where people miss that empathy. They think that empathy is saying to somebody like, I know exactly how you feel. So if you all want a great little short video, go watch Brené Brown's sympathy versus empathy oh. video. It's like two minutes oh, and it's amazing. It's good. It's a cartoon. Yeah. It's yeah. so cute, but it is right. Instead of being like, Oh, like at least, at mm-hmm. least you had kids. At least you had the opportunity to be married. At least it's not as bad as this. That's like a terrible thing. At or, least he didn't beat you. Right. Those things. At least. So don't say, don't, don't, don't say begin that. your sentences with at least. Or I know exactly how you feel. And don't assume that your feelings and experience is the same. Yeah. Okay. It's not. No. I'm, it's, what you're dealing with is a loss. Yes. I had to grieve the loss of my what I thought was going to be my life. So you're dealing with fundamentally a grieving person mm-hmm. do not under any circumstance say God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorced people. It's the same thing. <laughs> like I am going through a divorce. I cannot undo this divorce. If God hates divorce and I'm currently experiencing this grief and loss it's the same. <laughs> I feel about even the gay, like, God doesn't hate gay people just when you do the gay things. It's like similar. It's like, well, okay, everything and stay I tuned. do is we'll, gay. we'll get into some everything of the, the biblical gay. and theological stuff <laughs> about that. <laughs> Nick's keeping us on track today. Yes. Rating it in. It's my, my type Rating eight. Ashley and Jill. And oh, you're an eight? I'm an eight. I'm a two. Y'all should do an Enneagram one. I think I'm a... Ooh, that would be kind of cool. Something. Sex and the Enneagram. <gasps> How to serve your partner's needs and when to recognize when you're stepping into That's your shadow true. side. Oh. Oh, man. Mm. Anyways, I, sorry. Now I'm getting ourselves on. I'm yeah, an no, ENFP. <laughs> so, you know. Myers-Briggs for the win. Anyway. We'll get so, you into the Enneagram. We were talking, you were talking about 
dealing with this grieving person and not saying God hates divorce, not divorced people, those kind of lingos. Mm-hmm. The other one that you said was, you know, the marriage makes you marriage holy, makes you holy, holy not, happy. not happy. I would say even like <laughs> I wonder how I was um praying about it. Oh, sweet, sweet baby Jesus. I heard through the grapevine that the sentence, the sentence was being used. We need to pray for them to get back together. Right. Which completely shit all over how much weight I was losing. And I am like people, I am not a big human. I don't have a ton of weight to like lose. My hair was falling out. I wasn't sleeping. It was Physio- like physiologically, my body mm-hmm. was screaming at me to pay attention to what was happening. And their primary concern and their was, primary was concern was their marriage. Wow. Yeah, the, the preserving the institution, not preserving me. Yeah. So, you know, praying that my marriage, praying that we would get back together. You know what? Pray that the. Th- the struggles that my former husband and I were having and the the hard discussions that we were having, pray that we would continue to be able to do that well. Yeah. Pray that I have the strength to look at my children who are carbon copies of their dad. Literally. Literally. They look like clones. Little baby clones of your... Yeah. Pray that I would be able to look into their the same blue eyes that their dad has and say, we are so lucky to have dad. Aren't we? Isn't dad so fun and cool? Mm -hmm. Like pray that I would move through this with grace. I did not move through my divorce with grace. I kind of made a shit of it, but um, pray that I would be able to feed my babies and keep a roof over my head. Yeah. Pray that I would make wise decisions I think if anyone's looking, if you're listening to this and you are, you haven't experienced divorce firsthand, your parents are still together um, and someone around you is going through a divorce, show up with food. Yeah. Which is the same as grief and loss, right? Exactly. It is like show up, sit, sit in the shit with people, feed yeah. them. Feed sure them, yeah. Drinking water or something. You know, like maybe ask well, I know, like for my personality type specifically, push them a tiny little bit and be okay with them getting mad at you. Like ask mm. them, is seeing someone right now your best idea? <laughs> <laughs> is this really what you need right now? Yeah. Yeah. Do you really need to sell your house right now? Yeah. Okay, slow down. Let's pray about how to move through this in a way that... Mm you're proud of yeah or how do I help you like just come fold laundry I don't know a single parent <clears throat> married or otherwise that doesn't need help folding laundry yeah <laughs> I'm watching you Nick reson- things are resonating making little notes what's standing out to you where my head went was just and I I, I mean I've I've said this, but just the way that you said, you know, and then both of you have said that, you know, divorce is, it's a a loss. It's a grievance. You're mourning something. And maybe that's such a easier connection for a lot of people, uh, for me, especially to like, oh, like you're like, you're mourning, you're, you've lost not just your 
partner, but you've lost your community. This isn't just life changing. This is world changing. Mm -hmm. And I can identify so much more with that loss of the world aspect and just what it means to grieve. And then my head went to all those stories about Jesus coming to people who are mourning and offering lists of things to do, which is a list of zero things. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that Jesus does when he encountered people who are mourning was just weep with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't offer theological advice. He doesn't offer, you know, oh, if you did this wrong. All he does, especially with the story of Mary and Martha, when Lazarus dies, is just he weeps. Like he just mourns with them. He offers yeah. compassion and solidarity and presence. Mm -hmm. And if we know someone who is going through this life and world changing thing of divorce, like, a really simple thing and beautiful and healing thing to do is just show up yeah, like, and just yeah. be there and show your heart. And even if you don't know what to say, your presence is so much. Yeah. I'm seeing a face and a heart instead of a back walking away. Mm -hmm. Then I imagine it must have been, it must be so beautiful to know that, okay, I'm not alone. I've got some people in my corner. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that if that's folding laundry or if delivering food, it's those small yeah. acts of love and grace and presence that can, can mean so much. Yeah. I like just showing up where someone's needs need to be met too. Like um, someone might be fine. They their mm -hmm. income is fine. It's not going to drop off too much because they're working full time. Whatever is the case, what are their needs, right? Just showing up and not not saying, well, you're on your own. Like you chose this. Mm -hmm. You're right. I did. Like, and again, preserving the institution rather than the human. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I wrote down over here is, you know, Jesus always shows that God cares more for the person than the institution and the mm -hmm, enterprise. Mm -hmm. So time and time again, it's more like, what do you need? I don't care about the institution and what the enterprise says you're supposed to need. Yeah. But you as a person, as a child of God, what do you need right now? And let's love and care for you mm -hmm. and screw everything else. Mm -hmm. Screw the rules. Well, that's what <laughs> the thing is that from as it like, theologian in me it's this is such a can we go there is that theology we, oh yeah yeah, yeah we, okay. do it I feel like we would you got a nutshell the theology bit. before the end of the podcast so. this is one of those things yeah. <laughs> where we love to attach the word biblical to mm. uh, which is never ever a good idea biblical marriage oh um, yeah biblical counseling there's there's no because there's no such it's just you just don't do that um, and this is one of those things that I think we need to get more theological with than biblical. Because if you look at all the instances in the Bible where Jesus or whoever talks about divorce and marriage, they're not talking about what we think of divorce and marriage. Mm -hmm. um, it's not talking about two people who have consensually chosen to enter into a committed, loving relationship. Mm -hmm. When the Bible talks about marriage, it's economic, it's patriarchal, um, and it's economic. So it, yeah. it's like for the mm -hmm. purpose of owning someone and exchanging a dowry for this. And the woman nine times out of 10 has no choice in the matter. 
And so any kind of biblical portrait of marriage that it paints is not something that we can legally practice today. Um, and so whenever we look at like Deuteronomy 22 to 24, um, and it talks about divorce, um, it's talking about that kind of, how do you end an economic and legal contract? Yeah. And so it's, we can't really just say like, oh, the Bible says this to us and we should practice this because it's not talking about yeah. the same thing. Um, and then, and even then it doesn't give an authoritative statement about whether divorce is right or wrong. Sin is nowhere nearly attached to divorce. The Bible does not teach that. Um, it was a big argument in the Bible about whether divorce was right or wrong and what qualifies for divorce. And some rabbis taught that, um, oh, if adultery, okay, you can get divorced. And some are like, oh, if you just get bored, you can divorce them. That's cool. Yeah. Well, isn't that, doesn't Jesus touch on that in the New Testament? He when does. He talks about um, not divorcing. Oh, I can't remember the story now. There's... One place that he, if this is, if I'm picking up what, where you're going, there's one place, uh, it's in all the gospels that Jesus um, speaks about divorce. Mm -hmm. And the rabbis are having this, this big argument about is divorce allowed or not? Mm -hmm. And it's this generations and centuries long debate. Mm -hmm. And they're debating because the Bible's not clear. Mm -hmm. And so it's all the schools of thought, the same schools of thought of like some rabbis are like, oh, if you get bored and you, you know, think she's prettier, cool, you can get divorced. Mm. Or if, oh, no, no, only if, you know, she cheats on you, then you can get a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so they try to kind of entrap Jesus in a way of being like, hey, Jesus, what do you think? Uh, because Jesus could, you know, reference the Bible mm -hmm. and then they could critique him. Or if he doesn't refer reference the Bible, they could kind of entrap him some more. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where we kind of, a lot of churches, I think, get into trouble is, they see Jesus saying divorce is wrong. He could just flat out say yeah, divorce is like full stop. And we're like, oh, divorce is wrong. It's a sin. But we miss out on the really beautiful thing I think that Jesus is doing here. Um, Jesus is not commenting on divorce as we know it. Jesus is commenting on the treatment of women. Yeah. And Jesus is making this radical and revolutionary statement that women are to be seen as persons and therefore protected because mm -hmm. he knows if divorce happens nine times out of 10, the woman's going to end up dead. There's no one to look after her. She's seen as damaged goods. She can't get a job. There's no house for her to live in. She's going to end up on the streets and probably die. And so I, it's, it's really, I think to me and a lot of scholars is this, this, this critique of patriarchy and this institution of marriage that really puts women at risk. Mm -hmm. And Jesus coming in and saying, no, full stop. It's, it's really to be seen as back then in this idea of marriage, um, don't divorce because that's going to make these people who are made in the image of God, these people who are full-fledged human persons, it's going to make them end up in a life that's terrible in every way, shape, and form. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's radical and revolutionary for all the reasons that we miss out on. And so I think when we look to the Bible for teachings on divorces, we understand that we're going to come up empty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so therefore for me, it's a theological question. And how do we as Christians understand the ending of committed relationships? Yeah. And how do we, how do we hold those things? And for me, I guess the question just comes down to, do we really think, that a God who is justice 
and a God who is love and a God who is grace really gives a shit if we've ended a relationship. Do we think God cares more about that legal document than he does about the state of your welfare? Mm-hmm. And the kind of God that Jesus shows us is a God that would rather you end a relationship that's abusive, toxic, not going anywhere, um, taking life away from you. Mm-hmm. Get out and live something that's better and more full. Yeah. And let's support you as you do that rather than let's ostracize and shame and condemn you because you did that thing. And what would our response to people who have gone through or in the middle of divorce look like if we decided to follow a God who is just and loving and compassionate? Yeah. And how would these narratives be different? Mm-hmm. And seen. <laughs> it's true. I think, yeah, thinking about that, how the institution piece has come up and thinking about what you just said, we need to default to like humanity rather than institutions and checklists and, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like getting back into the spirituality side of things. And Rob Bell is one of my favorites and has always been one of my favorites. And he talks about how the arc of the universe is always moving towards growth, right? So it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make any sense to stay in any relationship, marriage, work, friendships that are not getting bigger. So yes. If you're moving forward and you're reaching back to your partner saying, come on with me, come on with me, and they keep saying no, then at some point you you have to make a decision. I can stay with them until they're ready, which sometimes is beautiful. Sometimes you need to leave yeah. that space and you need to continue the, where this whole thing is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every ending is a new beginning. It's that you know, death and resurrection kind of piece that gets baked into all this, that, yeah, if, yeah. yeah I'm with you. I'm a huge Rob Bell fan, that it's expansive and generative and creative. Mm-hmm. And our job is to go yeah. and grow and become and move forward. Yeah, and, and love is self-transcending, right? Like it gets bigger than itself all the time. So if the whole thing is getting bigger and there's only love at the end of this, ending your contractual obligations to the person that you entered into this with job or partnership, it's sometimes devastating and it's sometimes really hard, Mm -hmm. but no one, no one comes in and says, you, I heard you quit your job. So does that mean that you're never going to get another job again? Like, because you only get this one job that you chose when you were 21, you never get to have another job. That was waiting for you to find it. Yeah. So it could be happy too. Yeah. Oh, another wildly unhelpful thing that someone said to me was um, that I'm never going to be able to have sex again. Oh. Um, Because that person that I married in my early 20s was the only person that I was allowed to have sex with. I was never allowed to get married again. I was never allowed to immerse myself in another human relationship because that's what the Bible said the instruction manual for our life. And I remember, I remember being on this phone call and thinking, okay, if that's how you feel, then I will live in, you you will have your judgment over here and I will continue on in my sphere because I give no fucks 
about what you think the rules are. And I just, I don't have any patience to support, you know, oh, I have to play by your rules because you say them. We teach our kids, well, I teach my kids, you don't get to make the rules for all of the games and then decide to change them when your brother is winning. <laughs> That's not how Kerplunk works. Like you're, you're playing the game and you're both doing it and sometimes someone's winning and sometimes someone's not. And so it doesn't make any sense to say, I'm going to deprive myself of all human um, interaction in that intimate way because it's a sin. In a life of regret, I mean, what kind of life is that? I, I don't believe in a God that would make room for that. I'm like, oh, sorry, you blew your chance. You're going to just be, have a despairing and miserable life well, that's devoid of human connection. And I think that it is magical and beautiful when people are together for 50, 60 years and they talk about those, the hard years. Like there's always those hard years that they talk about, like when they weren't really getting along and, you know, the babies were little and he was working lots and she was trying to get her master's, you know, like whatever the story is. And they came through it. But sometimes people don't come through it. Yep. And that has to be okay. Mm -hmm. It has to be okay that this whole thing is a giant mystery and we just stumble through. Yeah. I was also thinking about when you're talking about, you know, looking behind and asking the person to come with us. And I've talked about this on the podcast a bit. Like I say, relationship is this constant choice to turn towards each other. So you mm -hmm. go through things yeah. like yeah. the masters or a death in the family or but you turn towards each other and it's a choice, right? Yeah. And sometimes the way that we can best love our partners is by leaving too. Like that's a, sometimes I'll describe that to clients or friends, like actually like leaving them where they are is also loving them too. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Something like love means, especially mm -hmm. the kind of love that we're God you know, God love, that agape kind of love mm -hmm. is sometimes that means letting go. Yeah. And sometimes that means putting up boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, Ooh. And that... <laughs> boundaries will be part two. It's the, the kind of love we're talking about, I think that makes relationships really thrive is a love that sweats and a love that turns towards each other. Mm -hmm. um, but that love, there needs to be the freedom within that to say, nope, I'm done. Or no, that's not loving of me. Or no, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, we need to see the freedom within that mm -hmm. to make that really tough choice to say, no more, I need to go down this way. And understand that if God's love is expansive and unconditional and gracious as we say it is, there's room for that. Yeah. And if the moment we say no is a moment that God loves ceases to be God's love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes like the narrative is that you're, you're being selfish. You're putting yourself on the throne mm. and you, you can't do that. I'm just thinking like uh, here, small rabbit trail. I'll try not to go far, too far down it, but like open relationships and non-monogamous relationships and how that's incredibly selfish of you and it won't work. 
like it'll just end in a ball of flames. And Aubrey Marcus and his partner, Whitney, um, are the like poly champions. Um, and they talk all the time about how they have found more love and they have stepped into way harder things and they've become better versions of themselves. It's not selfish to choose love and to, you know, follow the arc of the universe. It's bigger and makes you better to do this hard work rather than staying still. Yeah. Got to do another episode on non-monogamy and monogamy. That'll be a good oh, one. That, that's exploding in like in the world of theology right now. That's, that's like one of the top conversations of mm-hmm. kind of reclaiming uh, polyamory as a an expression of trinitarian love. Oh yeah, yeah it's like it's, it's some pretty deep, beautiful stuff. Um, but we're we're at an hour and a bit. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Like that, it's, thank you for sharing your story mm-hmm. um, and being vulnerable with us. Um, and I hope people can resonate with your story um, and find something good and beautiful and hope-filled uh, to, to sit with. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. really appreciate you sharing that with us. You're thank welcome. you. Thank you. Come back anytime. Oh, hang out with us. Yeah, we could. Go down some rabbit trails. <laughs> rabbit trails is what we do. <laughs> yes. Um, and so for all you listeners, um, again, um, our bad at it being however long since we've put up a podcast. Uh, let's blame it on the fact that we want to do this really well. Yes. I was also super sick for like three weeks and had no voice in case you didn't hear the coughing behind here that's still happening. Well, we're but glad you're on the mend. Yes. But. Um, so tune in soon. Um, There'll be more. I don't even want to say what the next one will be because every episode we're like, oh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, and really, we just kind of go with what's filling us with the most energy and mm-hmm. passion um, or what's really pissing us off. And we just talk about that. Yes. But for sure, there's one coming up about consent because that is both just from feedback from emails and from folks listening. And something that we want to talk about is definitely consent and consent, church to me yeah. too. Yeah. All that really. Yeah. Um, important stuff. Yeah. So yes. we're just trying to rearrange, rearrange, arrange, arrange uh, someone to come on for that that can speak to some of that church two movement as well. Yeah. So make cool. sure you email us prayer and private parts at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website. I was like, do we, what else do we have? A website. Stay tuned for all the social medias. Uh, yeah. But for now, wherever you're at, Uh, whatever you're rumbling through, uh, know that God's love is big, bigger than you can possibly imagine. And that if someone ever tells you in any way, shape or form that you're verging on the edge of that love, they're wrong. You can never go past it. You can never go beyond it. You can never do anything to take it away. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Know that you are loved. Live like you are loved. And may that be enough. Mm-hmm. So friends, grace and peace to you. And tune in again soon. Bye. Bye, y'all. <laughs> y'all. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Prayer and Private Parts, a podcast about sex and Jesus. 
If you want more episodes, you can find them all on iTunes and Google Play or on our website, prayerandprivateparts.com. We'll have all our episodes there along with maybe some show notes and ways to get in touch with us. If you want to get in touch, you can also email us at prayerandprivateparts at gmail.com. See you soon.